0: Welcome back to another episode of Tell a Friend. Let me begin as I always do and introduce myself. My name is Brian and yep, you've guessed it, this is Tell a Friend. I hope you've all had an exciting and unproblematic week because today I'm back with a lot on my mind and a lot of headlines to cover. So let's get straight into the Run the News segment. So this week, on the 11th of June to be exact, Botswana's High Court decriminalised homosexuality. The decision was unanimous, as all three judges decided to overrule a previously instated law that threatened LGBT people with up to seven years in prison if found to be in a same-sex relationship. Now before people criticise Botswana for their delay in overturning this homophobic law, it is important to understand its origin. The law was instated by the British colonial government in 1965, and as I speak, 31 out of 54 countries in Africa have laws banning same-sex relationships. It's no coincidence that many of these countries were former British colonies. Just last year, in September, did we see India overturn their homophobic, discriminatory laws which banned sex between LGBT people. Countries such as Malaysia, Pakistan, Uganda still have colonial-era anti-LGBT legislation, which was introduced by, guess who? The British. This is one of the many definitely dark legacies of the British Empire. Botswana's decriminalisation is in stark contrast to Kenya's recent High Court ruling just last month which refused to overturn their ban on gay sex. It's important for the British and other western nations to withhold judgement of countries like Kenya and instead reflect on their own recent colonial history and the role that they played in making Africa less tolerant. Attempts have been made to reform such legislation, for example, last year at the Heads of Government meeting in London, the Commonwealth Secretariat, Lady Scotland, did encourage Commonwealth leaders to introduce more tolerant legislation and also to protect the rights of LGBTQ communities. All that can be done now is for continued activism and people continuing to take to the streets to fight for equality. I was just reading a piece by Erin Jones this morning that was basically saying that Pride Month is not there for cheap commercial gimmicks. It's not there for an MS LGBT sandwich, it's there for continued protest, for LGBTQ people to be recognised and given equal treatment in society. This was one of the stories that I read, and you know what, Botswana, congratulations. Okay, I'm going to swiftly move on to talk about comedian Joe Brand. This week, the comedian received a lot of backlash after a joke that she made whilst on Victoria Corrin Mitchell's Radio 4 show called Heresy. Joe Brand had said, in jest, why bother with milkshakes? when you could just get some battery acid. She was referring to the recent trend of people throwing milkshakes at far-right politicians such as Nigel Farage and famous EDL, Stephen Yaxley-Lennon, who goes by the moniker Tommy Robinson. Joe Brand did go on to clarify during the show that her comments were purely a fantasy and that she wasn't going to do it. Nigel Farage went on to accuse her of inciting violence and did his usual press rounds condemning her and the BBC. It's important to remember that Nigel Farage also has a track record for making similarly offensive and violent comments. Just in 2017, he said to an audience in Southampton that if Theresa May failed to deliver his vision of Brexit, he would don khaki, pick up a rifle and head for the front line. If this doesn't sound or constitute as inciting violence, I really don't know what does. My view on Brand's comment is, yes. It is dangerous and probably not the best joke to use in our current political climate. I've frequently called people out for using dangerous political rhetoric over this past year. But with that said, let's think about the context of Brand's comments. Brand is a comedian. Brand was performing on a show that aims to offend in the name of humour. And also Brand did clarify her comments immediately after making them. Farage, on the other hand, is a politician who has been found to use dog whistle politics whilst at rallies and during television appearances. I don't think that Joe Brand should have made that joke because A, we're living in a time when politicians and journalists need round-the-clock protection. We're also living in a time when US terrorists are sending mailed bombs to critics of their president. We're living in a time when an MP can be brutally murdered on the streets of Britain. The joke was wrong. But what I find worse is a selective outrage Where was the same level of condemnation when former UKIP leader Henry Bolton's girlfriend was found to have made racist remarks about Meghan Markle? Where was the same energy when Boris Johnson compared Muslim women wearing burqas to letterboxes and bank robbers? Where was the same energy when Diane Abbott was subjected to extreme online abuse? It simply wasn't there. We cannot live in a society where we're selective without outrage, If we're to criticise Jo Brand for her comments, then I want to see that same energy used when we're dealing with the rhetoric made both by the left and by the right. I strongly advocate for civility, but I refuse to engage in a witch hunt which is being so clearly politicised. Well, since we're on the topic of UK politics, I'm gonna swiftly segue into discussing the ongoing Conservative leadership bid. As I speak, six Conservative MPs are battling for the Premiership. The first leadership poll is complete. list the MPs in order from most to least votes. So Boris Johnson received 114 votes. Jeremy Hunt got 43, Michael Gove 37, Dominic Raab 27, Sajid Javid got 23 and Rory Stewart received 19 votes. Boris Johnson is a Leave voter and has stated that the UK will leave the EU on the 31st of October quote deal or no deal. Jeremy Hunt campaigned to remain in the EU in 2016 but seems to have adopted a Brexiteer stance. He's opposed to leaving without a deal, it must be said. Michael Gove, similar to Johnson, is also a Leave voter. Rory Stewart is the most moderate contender on the issue of Brexit, as he campaigned to remain in 2016, but has built his campaign around reaching out to remain voters and also trying to unite the country. He's also very opposed to a no deal. Each contender needs a of 17 MPs to progress on to the second round of voting. Esther McVeigh received the least amount of votes, only getting nine votes, so she's clearly out of the race now. Each contender must now garner 33 votes in the second round. The votes will then be narrowed down to two finalists before it goes out to the postal vote, where the winner will be announced and will then know who will succeed Theresa May in mid-July. Johnson is currently the strongest contender, But, you know, with politics, you should always expect the unexpected. That's one thing I've learnt over these past few years. Now I'm gonna move on to talk about Chukra So today, on the 14th of June, as I'm recording, it was announced that Umuna had officially joined the Liberal Democrats. Umuna was initially a Labour MP, who earlier this year quit to start a new party called Change UK. Well, now he's left Change UK to join the Lib Dems. So he's had a bit of a busy year. Amuna's constituency is stressed, and many commentators suspect that a by-election may be called in the near future. This is because many say his credibility is gone. His former Labour colleague Diane Abbott had retweeted one of Amuna's past tweets in which he wrote the following quote, Whatever common ground we may have with the Lib Dems and some Tories on Brexit, I can't forgive what they've done to my area. I could never ever countenance suggesting voters support Liberal Democrat or Conservative candidates on account of their Remain credentials, as this would require turning a blind eye to the cuts to our local schools, the NHS, and other public services, End quote. Change UK has had a very rocky few months, with issues they've had attracting voters from both the traditional parties, as well as their naming issues that they've had. The parties changed from the Independent Group to Change UK, and now they've just applied to the election watchdog to be renamed the Independent Group for Change. Many are left wondering what the fate will be for both Chkrana and the currently named Change UK party. Who knows? I guess we'll have to see maybe the Conservative Party next for him. Who knows Now on to the United States. The White House is looking for a press secretary. This comes after Sarah Sanders announced she was stepping down from her role as press secretary. Now, surprisingly for White House staff, she described her time there as the honour of a lifetime and was given a pleasant farewell tweet by her boss. This departure is one of many from the Trump administration, which has one of the highest turnover rates I've seen. Her job hasn't exactly been easy as Trump's tweeting has become rather unpredictable. Well, it's always been unpredictable, to be honest, but it makes it hard to create any communication strategy around it. The Trump White House has seen numerous high profile and senior officials resign or eventually be fired. You know, it might be amusing actually to work out whether the White House has a higher turnover rate than The Apprentice, which Trump hosted prior to his political debut, shall we say. You know, it's incredibly unusual for White House staff to become celebrities. For example, it's hard to recall who Obama's top aides were, or who George W Bush's Attorney General was. Yet Trump staff immediately are thrusted into the public sphere due to the endless stream of scandals and internal palatial intrigue. Anyway, that's all for on the news. So I'm gonna move on to what went well. Okay, let's get into what went well. This week I'm congratulating American comedian John Stewart. Stewart gave an impassioned speech to Congress earlier this week. Stewart was making the case for extending medical funding for the 9-11 first responders. Earlier this year, the US government had reduced funds by more than 50% for the first responders. The fund had been promised to the responders as a way to look after their medical health due to the toxins that they had been exposed to during the 9-11 attacks. Many of the responders fell ill or became aware of their consequential illnesses many years after the attacks. The Guardian reports that more than 20,000 people have suffered or died from cancer, had breathing difficulties or other illnesses as a result of the attacks. Stewart criticised congressional politicians for annually remembering the attacks whilst also agreeing to cut payments. John Stewart was visibly upset and angry at these funding cuts. He said that Al Qaeda didn't shout death to Tribeca, they attacked America. His words clearly resonated as a day later the congressional panel all agreed to reissue the payments for the 9 11 compensation fund. Now all that's needed is for the Senate to pass the bill. And currently the Senate Majority Leader is Republican Mitch McConnell, so a lot of people are looking to him to pass the bill through. It's it not a shame that it took John Stewart, a comedian, a regular citizen, to tell Congress to do their job? But you know, I just wanted to make sure that John Stewart got the recognition and the thanks he deserved. so kudos to you, John Stewart. Okay, onto a more somber note. This week, instead of having a Be Better segment, I want to draw everyone's attention to the ongoing Sudanese crisis. So Sudan is currently going through a national political crisis, as the ruling security forces have began brutally attacking pro-democracy demonstrators. To give brief context, former President Omar al-Bashir was overthrown on the 11th of April of this year, after more than 30 years as the authoritarian dictator of Sudan. Following the toppled al-Bashir regime, military seniors took control and in recent weeks there have been clashes between the ruling military council and protesters who are seeking a democratically elected leader. On June the 3rd negotiations ended when the military decided to use violence to suppress protesters and many people were consequently killed. The military has said that an election would be held within nine months but protesters are looking for provisions to be made to ensure that the elections are free and fair. The protesters want a longer transition period before an election because they fear that the same corrupt network that existed during al-Bashir's day is still in place. An Ethiopian envoy has been sent at the request of Ethiopian leader Abiy Ahmed to mediate between the military council and also the protesters. There were initially agreements made between the protesters' representatives and the military council, but on the 3rd of June the military council disregarded negotiations and declared that elections were to be called much earlier than the protesters had negotiated for. This led to a strike being called by the opposition group called the Sudanese Professional Association This ongoing crisis dates back to December 2018 when extreme cuts were made by the al-Bashir government and this sparked protests which then turned into calls for a new leader to replace al-Bashir. The military council consequently overthrew al-Bashir, Now despite being highly fragmented and divided, the military council is reluctant to leave power. On the 30th of June, at least 30 people were killed as a result of the military's harsh crackdown on protesters. Protests are being carried out by Sudanese from all backgrounds, but the young and women are on the front lines of this protest. The West and many neighbouring African countries have expressed their support for the protesters, but Western media is still failing to report on the severity of the situation the African Union has responded by suspending Sudan's membership. The BBC report that, and I quote, the UN is removing all non-essential staff from Sudan, but China and Russia have blocked moves to impose sanctions, end quote. The ruling generals are rumoured to have received financial backing from Gulf Arab states which are looking for influence in the Horn of Africa. Many Sudanese are being killed, women are being raped, protesters beaten up, honestly it's awful. This is honestly heartbreaking, and I urge all of you to read up about it and stand in solidarity with the protesters. It really is up to us and our governments to protect the Sudanese from the brutal military regime. And I know this hasn't been the most simple explanation of the crisis, and it's been quite long and complex, but I don't agree in oversimplifying serious matters such as this. So if you're left still asking questions, then please, 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 I urge you to go up and read up about the matter, but please read up from reputable sources. Okay, that's all for today's show. I hope I've covered all the highs and lows of the week. That's all I've got to say for this week. So as always, if you enjoyed the show, read the title, tell a friend. If you didn't enjoy the show, well, you clearly weren't listening, so go back, listen again and enjoy. Bye.